Chapter Twenty One, Mrs. Fanshawe lights a fire and O'Hara fans the flame. Part One of Black Moth by Georgette Heyer, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Richard Carstairs very soon availed himself of Mrs. Fanshawe's permission to call upon her, and duly put in an appearance at Number Sixteen Mount Street. He found the house very tastefully appointed the sister elderly and good-natured, and the widow herself an excellent hostess. The first time he called he was not the only visitor. Two ladies, whom he did not know, and a young cousin were already there, and later a bowing acquaintance, Mr. Standish, also arrived. Seeing that he would have no opportunity to talk with the widow on the subject of his brother, he very soon took his leave, promising to wait upon her again at no very distant date. When three days later he again sent in his name and was admitted, he found the lady alone, and was gratified to hear her order the servant to deny her to all other visitors. He bowed over her hand and hoped she was well. Mrs. Fanshawe drew him down beside her on the settee. "'I am very well, Mr. Carstairs. And you?' "'Also,' he smiled, but his looks belied his words. She told him so, laughing, and he pleaded a worried week. "'Well, sir, I presume you did not come to talk to me about your health, but about my friend, eh?' "'I assure. Remember, no vapid compliments,' she besought. "'Then, madam, yes. I want to hear about Ferndale. You see, I, like you, took a great interest in him.' She sent him a shrewd glance and nodded. "'Of course, I will tell you all I know, Mr. Carstairs, but it is not very much, and maybe you will be disappointed. But I only knew him the short time we were both in Vienna, and—' he was not very communicative. Ah, he did not confide in you, madam. No, if one attempted to draw his confidence, he became a polite iceberg. Nevertheless, madam, please tell me all that you know. It will not take long, I fear. I met him in forty-eight at Vienna, in the Prater, where I was walking with my husband, who had come to Vienna for his health. I chanced to let fall my reticule when Sir Anthony was passing us, and he picked it up, speaking the most execrable German. She smiled a little at the remembrance. Mr. Fanshawe, who had the greatest dislike for all foreigners, was overjoyed to hear the English accent. He induced Sir Anthony to continue his walk with us, and afterwards he called at our lodgings. I think he, too, was glad to meet a fellow-countryman, for he came often, and once, when I had been talking with him for some time, he let fall—what shall I say—his reserve, his guard— and told me that he had scarcely spoken his own language for four years. Afterwards he seemed to regret having said even that much, and turned the subject. She paused and looked up to see if her auditor was interested. "'Yes, yes,' urged Richard, and then—' "'I do not remember. He came, as I said often, mostly to talk to my husband, who was a great invalid, but sometimes to see me. He would hardly ever speak of England. I think he did not trust himself.' He never mentioned any relations or any English friends, and when I spoke of home, he would shut his mouth very tightly and look terribly sad. I saw that for some reason the subject pained him, so I never spoke of it if I could help it. He was the most entertaining companion, Mr. Carstairs. He used to tell my husband tales that made him laugh, as I had not heard him laugh for months. He was very lively, very witty, and almost finically well-dressed, but what his occupation was I could not quite ascertain. He said he was a gentleman of leisure, but I do not think he was at all wealthy. He frequented all the gaming-houses, and I heard tales of his marvellous luck. So one day I taxed him with it, and he laughed and said he lived by chance. He meant dice. Yet I know, for I once had conversation with his servant, that his purse was at times very, very slender. 
The time he aided you, Mrs. Fanshawe, when was that? She flushed. That was a few months after we first met him. I was foolish. My married life was not very happy, and I was, or rather I fancied myself, in love with an Austrian nobleman, who, who, well, sir, suffice it that I consented to dine with him one evening. I found then that he was not the gallant homme I had thought him, but something quite different. I do not know what I should have done, had not Sir Anthony arrived. He did arrive, then? Yes. You see, he knew that this Austrian had asked me to dine. I told him, and he counselled me to refuse. But I—well, sir, I have told you, I was young and very foolish. I would not listen. When he called at our house and found that I was out, he at once guessed where I had gone, and he followed me to the Count's house, gave an Austrian name, and was announced, just as the Count tried to— tried to— kiss me. I think I shall never forget the relief of that moment. He was so safe and so English. The Count was furious, and at first I thought he would have his lackeys throw Anthony out. But when he heard all that Anthony had to say, he realized that it was useless to try to detain me, and I was taken home. Anthony was very kind. He did not scold, neither had he told my husband. Two days after, he and the Count fought a duel, and the Count was wounded in the lung. That was all but it made me very grateful to him and interested in his affairs. Mr. Fanshawe left Vienna a few weeks after that, and I have never seen my pre-chevalier since. She sighed and looked steadily across at Carstairs. And you—you you are so like him. You think so, madam? was all he could find to say. I do, sir, and something more, which perhaps you will deem an impertinence. Is Anthony your brother? The suddenness of the attack threw Carstairs off his guard. He went white. Madam! "'Please do not be afraid that mine is the proverbial woman's tongue, sir. It does not run away with me, I assure you. When I saw you the other night for the first time, I was struck by the resemblance, and I asked my partner, Mr. Stapley, who you were. He told me, and much more beside, which I was not at the time desirous of hearing.' "'Trust Will Stapley!' exclaimed Richard, and mentally cursed the amiable gossip-monger. "'Among other things, he told me of your elder brother, who—who—' who, in fact, he told me the whole story. Of course my mind instantly leapt to my poor Sir Anthony, despite that, in appearance, he is younger than you. Was I right? Richard rose to his feet and walked away to the window, standing with his back to her. I— I was sure of it, she nodded. So that was why he would not speak of England. Poor boy! Richard's soul writhed under the lash of her pity. So he will always be outcast, she continued, alone, unhappy, without friends— "'No!' he cried, turning. "'For God, no, madam!' "'Will society, cruel, hard society, receive him, then?' she asked. "'Society will one day receive him, Mrs. Fanshawe. You will see.' "'I long for that day,' she sighed. "'I wish I had it in my power to help him, to repay in part the debt I owe him.'" End of chapter 21, part 1 Read by Sibella Denton For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.